I'm Stephanie. And I'm Rachel. And this is Neurodivergent Voices, the podcast amplifying the voices and lived experience of the neurodivergent community. We're licensed occupational therapists who specialize in the brain and are neurodivergent ourselves. Join us every so often in this podcast that is for you and by you, the neurodivergent community. If you're interested in learning more about neurodiversity and joining a vibrant community of neuro-inclusive adults, head to our website, divergecommunity.com. Interested in an interview? Email divergecs at gmail.com to get it scheduled. Let's get to it. In this episode, we had the great pleasure of interviewing fellow neurodivergent occupational therapist, Bryden Carlson Giving. Bryden is a neurodivergent doctoral student at Boston University and a pediatric occupational therapy practitioner with experience in pediatric outpatient and inpatient rehabilitation. He is passionate about community-defined evidence practice, mental health promotion, trauma-informed care, and incorporating strengths-based approaches to promote a positive self-identity for his pediatric patients. Brighton's work includes encouraging a shift away from an impairment-based perspective and returning to strengths-based, occupation-centered practices. He seeks to promote neurodiversity-affirming practices, amplify the voices of the disabilities community, and challenge ableism within healthcare and research. From helping individuals discover and embrace their sensory processing differences, to collaborating with their family and education team to improve their ability to be neurodiversity-affirming, Bryden aims to maximize his client's quality of life and well-being to support authentic neurodivergent development. Listen in. Well, so we'll go ahead and get started by having you introduce yourself and let us know where you're from. Yeah, I'm Bryden Carlson Giving. Oh my gosh, I love that. We just recently got married, so I love oh, to say Carlson Giving now. Yeah, <laughs> Bryden Carlson Giving and... Um, I am from Big Lake, Minnesota, and both Zach and I, we live in Buffalo, Minnesota, which is like about 40, 40 minutes west of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Okay. okay. Brighton, for those of us who are just listening, could you give us a visual description of yourself? Ooh, I love that. I'm, I am a five foot, six inch dude, dark hair, mm, medium tan skin, maybe, and with a beard, dark beard. I love it. And it looks like you're wearing like a lavender colored shirt, maybe. <gasps> lavender colored shirt, wearing my little Apple watch, my gray joggers. Yeah, so wonderful. Um, well, I'm Rachel Robertson, Rachel Worley Robertson for being specific. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm wearing a teal colored high rise tank top that I borrowed from Stephanie. Yep. I have my hair pulled back as usual. I'm wearing small hoop earrings and I'm sitting on a couch right next to Stephanie mm-hmm. and Ophelia. Yeah, and Ophelia, the dog. <laughs> um, I'm Stephanie Olszewski. I have um, red hair that's coming out and it's dyed, it was dyed bright, but now it's coming a little bit lighter now. Some black glasses, my cozy button down t-shirt from working outside um, and a golden retriever that is also very red. <laughs> next to me. <laughs> so Bryden, um, can you share a little bit about yourself and how you like to spend your time or occupy your time? Ooh, <laughs> I share a little about myself. Oh my goodness. Um, I, let's see, I am a, 
OTP that supports kiddos in an outpatient pediatric setting, but actually starting next year, I'll be joining the school-based world, which I'm incredibly excited for um, to actually like support kids and like, not that the real world isn't a clinic, but also it's not really a, as much of a real world as the school. So I'm excited to partner with some fantastic people to um, support learners in the school-based system. Um, love oh, how to spend my time. I love to read. It's probably one of my one of my like two made two or three major hyperfixations. I love to read. Like I'm on book number like 37 this year. <laughs> like I like like all my drives. I'm listening to audiobooks. Um, so I also love collecting vinyls and listening to music. Like if I wasn't doing this wonderful podcast right now, like I literally be playing a vinyl like right next to me, which I usually like to do because it helps me to focus pretty well. Um, hypersensitive to auditory input for sure. Um, yeah, husband, a son, love to spend time outside as much as possible. Really, I mean, just kind of like hearing the birds and just being underneath the trees. Like it just, it's so regular, regulatory for me, for sure. I love hearing you speak like an OT. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, I think you're our first other OT that we're interviewing. Oh my gosh, like incredibly honored then. <laughs> it's a small, yeah. it's a small world OT. And then even smaller within this realm of like, true neurodiversity affirming. So you're very honored and excited to be sharing this space with you as well. Yeah. Do you mind kind of sharing how, like, cause I know Rachel, you didn't hear about OT till undergrad, right? Yeah. Do you mind how you found out about OT and kind of like, if you had to describe it, cause most people are like, what's OT? Like your elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah. I I got into OT because it was was also undergrad. I actually almost became a and um, a kindergarten teacher, but then I really wanted to dabble in healthcare. And I had literally, it's like not a really cool dramatic story. Like a lot of people were like, my aunt had this like life-saving like occupational <laughs> therapist that helped her, you know, do the things that are important to her after like this sur- big surgery. Like I literally just Googled into um, a search engine, like, like healthcare and teaching and actually occupational therapy was the first thing to pop up. And then I ended up watching a lot of YouTube videos about it. And I knew I wanted to work with kids and I saw what an OT could do when supporting kiddos. I was like, okay, yeah, this is totally it for me. And then um, when I made, when I got into school and was on field work, I'm like, no, this is absolutely what I really, really want to do. Um, and yeah, and that's the elevator pitch. Oh, elef- what I always like to tell people, cause first off they always will ask me like, oh my gosh, so they're like, you're going to help my, ki- like you're going to help my kid like find a job. I'm like, no, we're not doing any of that. Um, and then sometimes too, they'll always will say like, okay, like you're going to help with their, their, their handwriting. And then I always will stop and say, well, actually like, like we do anything that is really meaningful for your, for your, for your learner. And it could just because of a lack of great supports, it could be some sort of barrier, but anything that is meaningful to them, or they want to get better at that certain skill or they want to get more confident in something there's a high chance that we can address it and then i usually let them kind of just like word vomit like what are the things that you're really concerned about or what are some things that i think i'll even ask the learner like what do you want to get better at and we'll see if i can help support you in that mm-hmm. high chance we can yeah i like that that's a very also how you framed all that was very strength-based mm-hmm. <laughs> even the we're very like intentional with language use and mm-hmm listening to your, your Ted talk, you know, you guys really emphasize that as well. So even using the term learner, mm-hmm. um, 
I don't know, maybe you use kiddo sometimes too, but that's always like that terminology has always like, I don't know, like grind my gears a little bit. Um, but I feel like yeah. learning is so respectful and it's so um, like equal partnership there. So I really like that term learner. And I also really appreciate your like very honest, candid, like, hey, I don't have a great story. I Googled it because that's so real. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to like normalize just like regular real experiences, right? Because it almost mm-hmm. takes away power of like, maybe I'm not as compelling or yeah. as important of an OT because I just stumbled into it, but I stumbled into it too mm-hmm. um, and kind of found passion by accident. And so I think that's mm-hmm. as real and cool. So thanks for sharing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So you kind of briefly mentioned that you identify as neurodivergent you kind of aka neurodistinct are you do you ever use this term so honestly like I'm really excited to see that because I think neurodistinct is this is like one of the first times I think I've come across neurodistinct yeah shoot I wish we had we'll have to link it in the show notes um who coined that word neurodistinct Mm -hmm. but yeah it's kind of I think it highlights this idea of different, not better, not worse, but distinct. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. divergent, in a sense, I mean, we still identify with it, but it does have kind of an ableist undertone, right? Of diverging from the norm. Mm-hmm. And if we're really trying to say like, hey, everyone is equally beautiful and valid, everyone's just different, then distinct kind of feels a little bit more empowering than divergent. Mm-hmm. So that's- that, That's really interesting. Um... I think it'll definitely probably, I think it really like just depends on the, on the, on the listener. Cause I think for me, like even kind of hearing neurodistinct, I think I even still kind of find neurodivergent even more empowering only because it's like, I do diverge from the norm and I'm also like pretty damn proud of that. Um, and until that, until my differences are recognized and supported in other folks' interests and differences are supported um but I also kind of totally understand and like empathize with like neurodistinct as well too but that's like the beauty is like language is powerful and you get to kind of identify with whatever resonates with you the most which is really really cool yeah and it's so it is so nuanced and so individual too um so yeah I I also think language is beautiful and powerful but anyway back to the main question of how you identify as neurodivergent so you can share as much or as little about oh yeah I would say it's in I would identify so I use the term ADHD or just because people understand people know what that is um but actually in an ideal world I I hate ADHD I hate using ADHD or it's better than having ADHD just because deficit and disorder are still in the lingo so I much prefer um I don't remember at all who coined it but I freaking loved it um vaster so variable attention stimulus trait yes that's um Hollowell Dr. oh gosh good job yeah vaster (laughs) like I like if I could have it my way and if I said yeah I'm a vaster like yeah people knew what that was I would totally much prefer vaster because just like I don't even like I despise autism spectrum disorder mm-hmm. but like just like ADHD like disorder deficit they're mm-hmm. you're already like you're painting this frame of like who the individual is without even getting to know them first yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but um yeah so vaster and then um and then I'll even like even like 
like depression like I even like for me it feels still most comfortable like I have depression because of how it kind of infiltrates throughout my life and then um trauma as well I would say for nerd I nerd diversity thank you for sharing mm-hmm. um I'm I'm curious I'm gonna poke a little deeper but you are yeah more than welcome always just I prefer not to share and that's completely valid too mm-hmm. um we always are, are kind of curious though how people came to identify with neurodiversity mm-hmm. if it's something that they've had um throughout their development and growing oh. up or they came to later in life great oh yes great question um later in life I was actually I actually I didn't realize I was neurodivergent well I knew that I had depression but I always thought that like only for a while because of a lot of the early advocacy when I saw about neurodiversity was only about like autism and ADHD and so I thought that having depression wasn't a part of that like universe Mm -hmm. and then um I was diagnosed as a master last year, um, which it, for me, it helped me to like really exhale because it made so much, it made so many things about my, about my life really just elucidated so many things that I was always so concerned about, or just like, am I just dumb that I can't like, just break my focus and move on to another thing? Or it's like, no, like it's a literal, like, like biological form of like human diversity in the brain. And, um, so all of that was late diagnosed. I was not diagnosed young at all. Mm. So you said about a year ago, you received this diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm curious again, like, nah, I'm good. But I'm kind <laughs> of curious what that, that experience was for you. Because I think a lot of individuals who have that late diagnosis can kind of go through like all the stages of grieving, but also validation at the same time. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious what you'd be willing to share about us about how that diagnosis was. Absolutely. I, so I have been following so many neurodivergent individuals and they would be posting all this really beautiful stuff about like, here are some fun, like cool screeners that you can take yourself and self-diagnosis is equally valid. And, and so I was like, you know what, like, I really feel like I just, I feel like I, I process the world differently. Like, I don't know how to like put a finger on it, but then I would take a couple different like tests. And then um, like one of them was like, a, I forget what the, it's like, a, there's not really a neurodiversity affirming like yeah. ADHD or screener, but there was one that was, I have to find it. It was highly publicized. That was had a lot more affirming language. And I took it and like, I came out and I was answering these questions like, like, do you feel like you're like you have like sensory processing differences with X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, yes, I do. And then do you feel like you can like, do you feel like that you can like focus on a task for such a long time that you forget to go to the bathroom, you forget to eat? I'm like, yes, I can. I do that all the time. And I'm like, do you want these things? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like, or do like, do you feel like you have really, you know, do you feel like you have, you know, your short-term memory isn't as fantastic as other people's? So I'm like, oh my God, like, yes, this is speaking to me. And so actually like, after I took like the screener, then I did like a fun, then I did a formal assessment and I got my diagnosis for me, actually, like, I don't know. I feel like I was really privileged that there was no gr- like grieving. Like for me, for me, actually, like, mm-hmm. I feel like I can, that, like a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. Cause I felt like there's no, no, there's nothing wrong with you. It's just, your brain is wired differently. And really like it's in front of you. Um, wow. Yeah. 
That's really beautiful. Um, and I really, I kind of want to touch back on this idea that you had about like, they're not really being neurodiversity affirming screeners. And that's kind of true across the board for neurodivergent mm-hmm. conditions. And I think that plays a really big role in why so many of us are, are missed, mm-hmm. right? It's like, totally. yeah, in a big way, we have these ableist undertones, whether we acknowledge mm. them or not, or are aware of them or not. And so we don't want to identify with being disordered mm. and deficit. And, and so being able to just word it differently makes it more accessible and makes us like be able to reflect more honestly. Um, so that's definitely an area of need um, in the field for sure. Um, should we share a little bit of him? Because I always feel like we are just like, yeah, be vulnerable with us. Very good. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm loving it. No, I've, obviously this is this is your um, podcast and I'm honored to hear anything that you both would like to share too. I mean, but obviously you're the, you're the captains of the ship. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Do you want to start? Or? I think you should start. I'm kind of curious where you're. Oh, okay. I, I'll jump onto the train. <laughs> Yeah, who knows where this ship is going, right? This yeah, I was gonna say sometimes <laughs> Rachel's um That's okay. <laughs> You're following along, like no, yeah. no, I'll listen. Yeah. No, um, so Stephanie and I started Diverge Community Services seven months ago. Oh yes, okay, now I know what we're talking about. Yes, okay. Um and when we first started, um, we were both very passionate about neurodiversity. We had been working with um individuals with mental health conditions and who were autistic. And um, TBI, TBI, and various neurodivergencies, yeah. but we didn't. It was all like very siloed, looking at a specific disorder diagnosis, right? And how can we rehabilitate? And so her and I like had this very, I mean, super hyper focus, hyper fixation level interest in all of this stuff and sensory processing and executive functioning and whatever. And we're like, this just isn't it here. Like we are working, operating out of this medical rehabilitation model that is just like very biomechanical focus yeah Mm -hmm. it was hard especially we were part of like an nfl program too where we're not really focusing on that and trying to find out more strength-based approaches and stuff and we're like this is kind of where our passions align yeah yeah Yeah. so we were part of like this mental health it was like a 30-day um residential mental health program Mm -hmm. and we really got to explore like what mental health strength-based OT could look like Mm -hmm. and the real impact that could have so just all these different things got us like really interested in this world but basically we got out of our situation out of necessity like our previous jobs just wasn't wasn't it it was uh serving us wasn't serving us um so we knew we wanted to do this explore this model of neurodiversity affirming for adults because it's just like adults are just there's just this cliff of services, right? But mm-hmm. um, like personally, Stephanie, and I'm gonna reveal some of your stuff, but, oh, right, but yeah, Stephanie has been very open ever since I've known her about her ADHD vastness mm-hmm. and her dyslexia and how she deeply identifies with that. And like, it's her strength in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, I could open <laughs> in like grad school and stuff because that's where we met originally. Was in yeah. grad school, mm-hmm. um, where I'm like, hey, by the way, like all my papers are gonna be spelled wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, don't it? You know, just kind of upwork with it. And even like yeah. at our job interview before, you know, coming forward into the interview meeting, saying like, hey, my written reports 
there's going to be misspellings, but I hope mm-hmm. you know what the stimular system, like, you know, in general, what I'm getting at when I'm sending yeah. this information to someone. Um, but yeah, I would say I've always been upfront since I was little, because so, I was diagnosed when I was, um, I would say like first grade, they kind of knew in preschool and kindergarten. And then first grade, I officially got that. Like, all right, yeah, we got some learning dis- differences here. So yeah. And Stephanie's openness with it and her ability to embrace her differences and um, really find new ways of doing things and seeing the world was just really inspiring to me. But when we first started this company, I didn't identify as being neurodivergent. And so there was this, this lens of like, what value can I bring as a neurotypical? Well, funny story is I too didn't realize that mental health was deeply tied in this university. Um, And I, I have had obsessive compulsive disorder since I was a little kid. And um, so that is something that I'm like, oh, wait, I guess I actually, I am neurodivergent. Um, But through this process of (laughs) really diving deeply in, um, have identified that I am actually probably OC, are you DHD? (laughs) I don't know how to say that, but I'm, I'm identifying as autistic as well. And it's been a wild, like crazy journey of being like, oh no, I'm neurotypical. So like, no, you don't even know what neurotypical is, Rach. Yeah. So it's been kind of this wild journey of self-discovery. And the funny thing, I think it's funny. I think Stephanie thinks it's funny mm-hmm. is Stephanie's like, listen, you had to come to it on your own terms, but I've known all along. <laughs> like, I'm just like, I'm gonna let you get there. But <laughs> so yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> Oh my goodness, thank you for sharing, you two. I had <laughs> no idea. Yeah, yeah. So but it's just cool how even as professionals, like mental health care professionals, how we don't really realize it, you know, mm-hmm. until we're kind of in the thick of things. Yeah. And so and it's like we don't even know. And we went through a master's program, like we learned about autism. I know. I know. You know, like we don't neurodiversity affirming wasn't even that's not something that was in our program at all, right? It was an autism spectrum disorder. It's a person Mm -hmm. with autism, Mm -hmm. you know? We maybe got like, what, two classes about like sensory processing and whatnot. It's it's also like, I mean, I don't know about you, like all my education was very much like, you know, um, like autism spectrum disorder is, it's like painting like this really big, like negative picture of like all these things to like be afraid of and like these things we need to correct. And it's like, Oh wait, but I could never be affiliated with anything like that because it's this big scary thing that we need to like change. And um, I'm really looking forward to learning how even just our education can change. I mean, there's so much that our occupational therapy education needs to be better about, but Mm. neurodiversity is like top three that needs to change for that very reason. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, or like strength-based too. I love how you mentioned mm-hmm. it in your TED Talk and giving examples of specific goals and stuff yeah. too. Because so much, especially for insurance purposes, we like are taught specifically how to write goals for the deficit. And then when you are talking to individuals on what like we're working on and you like say, oh, this is your goal. And I wrote it like as a deficit. It almost just brings this, I don't know, demeaning type thing Mm -hmm. no it makes them like less human and it really makes you forget about the humanness of the individual that you're working with um and it's still something like I'm still working on like I've only have learned about strength-based approaches in this past like year and a half and it's still like 
I'll be typing up, I'll be typing up like an email, like, oh wait, Brian, like that's pretty gross. Like we need to go back and reframe that in a way like, like you think like it's an ever changing process though. That's why it's not like a single time of like, okay, I am, I no longer have any internalized ableism. I no yeah. longer have to reflect on how I practice. Like, no, it's like every day, like reflect on what you're doing. Don't be afraid to like check yourself. Don't be afraid to have other people, you know, call you out and cause I, I know I rely on that. Like, oh, thank you for telling me. Like, thank you for reminding me. Thank you. Yeah. I think you mentioned it in your TED talk. You're like, it's okay to be wrong. Like, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay to learn from you being wrong. That's, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's, yeah. yeah. What's, um, we're big fans of Dr. Patton. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think she's a goddess. Yeah. <laughs> She is. Mm-hmm. She really is. But her saying, um, what is it? Be wrong, do better, learn something. You probably know what mm-hmm. I'm saying. But yeah, from her um, Eleanor Clay. lecture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, shit, getting that tattoo. Like, everybody yeah. mm-hmm. by that. My, my favorite <laughs> one is no one builds their lives off of remediated deficits. And I'm like, thanks, girl. You're so Ooh. right. <laughs> like that's so true though. No one builds off their life off of remedi- remediated deficits. And it's just I'm hoping to actually um I just sent out an email this past week. She uh, her and a couple other um of neurodivergent OTs, we're gonna write okay, two dreams. We're gonna write there's a big neurodiversity call of pa- call for papers out. Mm-hmm. We're gonna write an article. Oh my God, my larger dream is so, I don't know if you've read recently, um, AOTA, the American Occupational Therapy Association for non-OT listeners, um, (laughs) our big national organization for American OTs. um, They released like in January, like this recently January, like a position, this like long ass position, oops, sorry, long position. I'm so sorry. They post this like 20 page long position paper on it's like how it's like how OTs can support autism spectrum disorder across the lifespan and like the entire thing is so ableist and disgusting like I'm like did you not like team up with or collaborate or even ask for advice from your autistic OTs no it's like the author's AOT like it's like they're it's like they recommend all these behavioral modification techniques wow. and the, the 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 icing on the cake, the disgusting cake that made me so livid is that they have case studies. The only time they ever mention neurotypical, they don't mention neurodiversity at all. Um, they mention in this case study about an, an, an autistic adult woman who's working on like her sexual relationships with her partner. And it's like, one of the goals is like, one of her like fake quotes is like, I want my sexual relationship with my partner to be more like a neurotypical. It's like, oh my God, there's so much wrong with this. And so I really want to partner with them to come up with like a, basically it's like a, a feedback. Yeah. Like, a, like us rewriting it and saying, hey, AOTA, this is how you can like improve upon it and publish it with an open journal. Because that needs to happen. Like it was so just, it's so, uh, I'm so embarrassed. And that's, that's our national, like that's supposed to be our national. Oh my God, uh, yeah. Right, that's, that's the precedent, Sorry, that should, right? You know, my, like, my intestines just dropped, I think mm-hmm. at least just. Yeah, it's, it really reminds me like, yeah, I surround myself on social media with so many fantastic pioneering people. And, but it's like really like, it's my, it's my bubble. And I forget really like how 
really truly how much farther our profession really needs to get to like for me and my friends and colleagues and stuff it's the norm but holy buckets were like the 15 percent right now you know but it was a good reminder for me like a good like reality check like whoa well I am so excited to read this because I know your dream's gonna come a reality yeah and I'm very excited um and if you need any input oh world I'd be happy to contribute to it anyway but um, you know I haven't read an article yet which is shocking to me because I would definitely remember reading this but there is there was a decent OT article in AJAT actually out of Western Michigan University I think it was late 2022 but talking about and it was it was comparing um traditional occupational therapy with neurodiversity affirming OT. I'm sure in your research, you're like, yeah, I've read that. But are you familiar with what article I'm talking about? Honestly, I don't think so. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of done with like the literature review phase. I was yeah. like end of 2021. So I probably okay. completely missed it. It's good. It does a side-by-side comparison of like, hey, these are traditional kind of behavioralist approach. This is the strengths-based approach. And shockingly, it's not Dr. Catton. It was out of Western Michigan. So like whoever this is, I'm like, we should get one of them too. Because it was really, it was really direct and profound. Like, this is harmful. Mm-hmm. This is what we've done in the past. Mm-hmm. This is a step in the right direction. Um, I'm going to like write this down really quick before I forget. Yeah, Western Michigan. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. It's short, but it's like. Oh my God, I'll take it. Yeah, I read your twenty-two page one. Throw up later. So yeah, <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> not a tasty cake. That's just sad because I don't know. Our profession was founded on mental health and mm. things that someone enjoys and you know that they're already naturally good at. <laughs> Why? Uh... How do we steer so far away when our foundation of our tree is from here? Honestly, I was, I've been thinking about that. And for me, and I think this is like, this is, I think what the most largest ableist undertone is that there's this very, not just westernized, but this very like, uh, like microscopic view of like what healthy mental health looks like. Yeah. And so it only kind of like looks like this one way. And so, I don't know, I feel like our profession is really built upon and I was even like reading a lot of, I just, oh my gosh, I just read this recent article about how like the origins of OT weren't super fantastic. It was pretty like racist and very, like very ableist actually. Um, we just have a lot of work to do. And so I'm, I'm really hopeful. I know it sounds like a really depressing podcast, yeah. but a lot of hope, you know? But. I, but I think we have to take that, that approach and that framework of we made mistakes and we're going to learn. And, and like, be okay with saying we did make them. Like, don't try to hide them. Like, don't delete these articles. Like, I know AOT deleted a lot of their uh, their um, autistic like research articles that were like they were emphasizing like behavioral techniques and behavioral based feeding. It's like that was a critically critically praised topic you've had on forever. And now it's just gone. So, you know, like I wish they would issue like a like an like an apology statement or piss it down. Totally agree. No, because that's just trying to erase history instead of actually mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the I know we keep going back to your TED talk, but <laughs> sorry, like you're claiming. No, today. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? We're so Midwest. We're not sorry about anything. No, we are just people. Who aren't that's so true. <laughs> but um, 
I, we both just so appreciated you coming right off the bat and being like, Hey, here's all the things that I did that were really harmful. And I'm still learning. Oh God, yeah. Like that's so brave. Right. But that is, it's such a good modeling for the rest of us to like acknowledge, because like, if we can't acknowledge that we're wrong, we don't want to learn or change. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Stephanie first disclosed to me her ADHD, I had this very narrow ableist view of what ADHD was and autism like mm-hmm. had I really understood what autism could look like and look like in women you know maybe I wouldn't be have been almost 30 when I'm finally kind of starting to understand myself right but I I like autistic mm-hmm. like sounded like a dirty word to me mm-hmm. I mean you know this has been like a recent I would say even two months that you kind of started to identify Oh, that's really cool, Rachel. Very early, baby. Yeah. So even <laughs> so beautiful. Just even our talks like three months ago, almost exactly. Oh, it was like it was so easy to identify. Like, oh yeah, I can see I have ADHD because like, oh sure, you know. But autistic, you know, it automatically like it I have this. Been. I have this view that it's I'm not human almost, and that's so it like you know and the fact that you were vulnerable and like said like that is just the view that I've been like society has put on what an autistic human looks like is just so this lens that yeah and I don't think like you can really so many of our implicit biases are implicit right we don't know them but Mm -hmm. that was such a real vulnerable wake-up call for me of being like I I wouldn't have thought that I had this ableist view. Like I'm compassionate towards everyone. And of course I would think all of my clients are, are equally important and human, but then throw that shit on yourself. And you're like, that's mm-hmm. when you start coming out. And you're like, well, if that were true, if that's truly how I felt, this would be a welcome addition to my life. This would be something to celebrate. But instead it's something that is like this really challenging, like coming out situation I'm having in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's not always met with like positive experiences either, you know? Yeah. So, or even being vulnerable and telling people they're like, autistic. No, no, right. you're not a little boy. The best ones though are like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, but what do you think autism is? And how do I make sense about that? Right. Because mm-hmm. if your idea of what autism is, you know what I mean? Like, what is your idea? Because mm-hmm. it's so, I'm not Rain Man. <laughs> is that your idea? But also how pivotal Rain Man was. I mean, like people didn't even people didn't even really know what autism was before that. So I mean, it is a starting place. So it's not something we should erase mm-hmm. from our history either. It's like, you know. Oh, I think we can definitely acknowledge, you know, like what it was for, you know, the culture, and then also like how we've moved forward since then. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, especially the the time when it came out. And I mean, absolutely. So, what do you wish? more neurotypical folks understood about neurodiversity. I mean, you said it right. We are in this bubble where we just assume, oh, everyone understands and appreciates it, but we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think th- for me, the the largest thing is that actually neurotypicality is a part of like the neurodiversity umbrella because it's, it's everyone. It's encompassing everyone. And it's just about valuing. And this is why there's also like a fun, like lingering question in the back of my head, like, truly really is there any like is there neurotypicality is there neurodivergence is or is just like this kind of disgusting medical model ableist stuff that we're drowning in that makes us you know view life as only correct in one certain way um but that neurotypicality like 
they're a part of like the club. They're a part of the universe too. Um, I always like to like, I know when I tell my um, neurotypical friends about that, how they're like, yeah, you're, you're a part of neurodiversity too. Like it's not only just a movement, it's a whole, it's a whole stinking big massive universe and you're included. And um, they're like, oh yeah. So it's, I always like reminding them about that. If you have a brain, you're a part of the neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you have it a brain. Matter. Yeah, it matter. Oh man, you, I'm going, I'm going down a rabbit hole. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But this idea of does neurotypicality exist? That is something that I have been racking my brain around for some time now, because, you know, I feel like I'm in this privileged place of becoming more in tune with my identity and having support to, you know, there's, there's a lot of privilege in it, but in this process, it's making me think, feel like, okay, I'm just maybe more in tune or more aware of some of the nuance than other people are, may not mean as much that I'm like so different from others, but have the language to explore this. So that's something I've been, I don't know, that's kind of a, that's kind of a thought too. And I had a, an interview with a, another individual, fantastic interview with Benani from Black Neurodiversity. And they said, I recommend listening to it. They said that neurotypicality doesn't exist. You don't I don't want to say it wrong. I'm just going <laughs> to say, listen to the, the episode because it was very profound and it has really got me thinking about the basis of. I really want to actually interview um, their pronouns they, them. Yeah. Cool. I, I just like recently discovered them. Actually, I think it was because of your podcast that I discovered them. I discovered Black Neurodiversity. And actually, I want to reach out to them because I really want their input on this like framework model thing. That's like a sliver of like my my projects. I, that's this one area of mine that I really need more, um, so much more support in. But. That was an amazing conversation. And what I really, really respected about that conversation was their comfort with discomfort and mm -hmm. just you know really really challenging a lot of things that we just take uh for granted and as the norm you're like well, mm -hmm. but why but why mm -hmm. um so i highly recommend reaching out they are super accessible and very good people um so we've already been talking for 43 minutes and i'll be honest halfway through i forgot we were doing a podcast i was just so excited to show you. <laughs> oh yeah likewise likewise for real this has been so lovely but we haven't gotten to talk about your research at all. Do you have any spoons left to talk about it or should we do another one? You're so sweet. <laughs> um, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Um, it's long story short, I'm creating, it's essentially like a, it's a neurodiversity affirming toolkit for OTPs. And so um, if I share my screen, will it pop up? Like, yeah. <gasps> Oh my goodness. Oh my, oh my God. Okay. So I, I created like an introductory manual that I'm just going to basically share on social media as like a, Hey, this is what's going to be coming out hopefully as like a website someday in the future. That is so exciting. Okay. We just allowed it. So you should be able to cast share yeah. now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. 
I, I'll, I'm a huge, like, I'm a huge, like, illustrator, too, so, like, I was, like, I really want to, like, create, like, this, like, annoyingly, like, creative, dark, but, like, watercolor, hopeful graphic, I love and I painted, like, the little watercolor, but, okay, that's the boring stuff, still boring. I basically talk about how occupational therapists, I shouldn't say accidentally, but they contribute to occupational marginalization by mm. not supporting neurodivergent ways of being as valid occupations and how enforcing like neurotypical norms and even like our, our assessments are disgusting like how we encourage occupational marginalization and how we cannot stop talking about that so i'm just going to get to the actual like just the listing of the toolkit stuff i don't know near enough occupational marginalization i can't wait to read this that's gonna be your next deep dive so, yeah <laughs> So essentially within the toolkit, I am um, I created like a like a really, really rough draft of like an, a neurodiversity affirming OT model. I created like a grading of very popular interventions that are used with um, a lot of my research my research is very focused on, on autistic indivi individuals. I would love to like obviously expand it. Um, mm -hmm. So like for example, um, I did like a massive lit review collecting all the health and well-being priorities identified by autistic people, no one else but autistic people, and like, mm -hmm. surprise, surprise, none of their priorities were like lie in the medical model, the only one that you can like maybe argue lies in the medical model is pain, but that also means including how we modify, like modifying how we measure pain, because autistic people measure pain very differently than neurotypical yeah. people. Mm -hmm. And like how like starting with our goal, like if we're gonna write goals, like really try to start from like these priorities instead of kind of like our ableist assumptions. Um, oh yeah, here's like a really, really rough draft. Um, still working on a title, but the promoting authentic neurodivergent occupational performance panel model. Essentially, it's just you're making a like, model. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it, it's, it, was just like, it was just a fun like idea that I had when I was like buzzed like two months ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like how it's supporting like authentic like neurodivergent like health and well-being, and like our goal is like neurodivergent sense of self and empowering that. And so, like, I envision like on the website like this model will be floating, and you can like hover above each section, like the first step is reflection on ableism like here are some like tests that you can take that were created by neurodivergent people to like measure any internalized ableism you have or maybe help you reflect on things and then like meaningful evaluation so like um i have like in a section um gosh i'm sorry this is my adhd or brain oh i love it no <laughs> like, like, so satisfying oh i'm a visual i am such a visual dude um it's like yeah if you're going to use an assessment tool like here are some of like the more like affirming assessment tools um here's like a grading of popular ot interventions from like low grade of incorporating affirming characteristics to like high grade um here like stop like don't even consider unless for some reason like um an autistic friend like i put here like social skills training i'm so sorry you probably can't even see it but like, they were like, they, oh my God, they like raised a really great point. They're like, well, Brandon, just always remember too that there's a lot of autistic people out there that want to learn neurotypical social skills as a way of like safety and protecting themselves. I'm like, oh, you're so, that's such a great point. And so um, yeah. then like, yeah, neurodiversity for make treatment characteristics. So like this entire project, of course, Christy Patton, the goddess witch. <laughs> um, like we, 
so like this doctoral project will be like 200, 250 pages long. This is just like a cute, like little introductory um, to it all. But like the end goal is to essentially turn this all into a uh, interactive website, like a resource hub. So it's like, like you'll have um, Sarah from like the deaf, deaf autistic OT stuff. Like, oh, if you want to target how to promote um, affirming independence in like ADLs, like here's OTUs for neurodiversity, like supports and resources you click on, it'll bring it to like their page or you want to support co-regulation. Here's some of my favorite autism level up resources. Like, so it's like a resource hub. So like none of the stuff will be housed there. I want all attraction to like go to like the actual websites. Yeah. But we just have so many websites with fantastic information without like a, like a show yeah, like a train station. Yeah. Or if you're like, if you're about to assess a neurodivergent kiddo, you can click on assessment and it'll be like, hey, here are some screeners to consider. This is what they measure. Here are some like questions you could consider asking that are really affirming, things to think about. And so this is like a really rough, like really rough uh, like dream. This is kind of like what my project is entailing. Oh, I'm excited to see this dream coming reality. God, me too. <laughs> me too. And you know, it's, gosh, we judge ourselves so much. You saying this is really rough. That looks so beautifully polished and mm -hmm. like it's so much, you can tell it's so much clearer than you're giving yourself credit for. But this is going to be something that is really valuable for us. So I'm like, yeah. go burn it, go. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Really, really exciting stuff. It's even cooler than I realized it was going to be. So, and thank you so for accessible. sharing it. Yeah. And thank you for yeah. I haven't shared like, I haven't shared this like PDF yet. I'm always like, I'm probably going to share it now until like August when I actually like publish like the doctoral project and it's like actually available and have more of like a, an idea. Like maybe Pan Up won't be like the name of the model. I'm just kind of just playing around with things right now. But that's why I'm, um, I'm consulting with so many OTs right now. Like I'm, I've consulted um, with, quite a few different neurodivergent OTs like hey this is what's I feel like I'm missing something like please tell me and um because a lot like a couple of the underlying frameworks like uh cultural humility and intersectionality and anti-racism like I'm a I'm a cisgender white dude like I I'm privileged to the max in those areas and so like I'm I'm looking forward to consulting with like non-white OTs and so I'm super super excited this is amazing mm. I'm jealous of all the cool stuff that you're doing right now and how your brain is just like, oh. you're talking about, what about this podcast? I think this podcast and like, I was just looking at your website like a little bit before I like launched on, like you both are doing such remarkable stuff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah you can it tell it was a ADHD just impulse. We quit our jobs and started <laughs> a company because we just were like, yeah. Well <laughs> we don't, we don't like how the medical model is being forced upon us and mm. our people are not treating are being treated yeah. fairly or rightly so let's just start a company and change it you know <laughs> seven months later That's, that, that takes amounts that takes loads amounts of bravery uh I don't even think I could do anything like that anytime near in the future so kudos to you both bravery and a lot of privilege yeah and a lot of <laughs> but you know what I, I think that neurotypical people rarely make history mm -hmm. because you have to have mm -hmm. that level of bravery and a little bit of impulse 
impulsivity <laughs> and hyperfixation, creativity to the max to, to be able to think you can and actually do these kinds of things. So I think it is um, a skill and a gift and something that we want to contribute as much as we can to the profession and just the world at large. You know, so we are we are fighting the same good fight with you, my good friend. So yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um I, I see we're coming to a close and I never know how to how to close anything I do. Um we always do this horrible <laughs> salute at the end. Why do we do we don't have how to like say goodbye <laughs> or anything? But I think we I'm excited for you to publish this research and I want to hear more about it. I think we'll have another interview with you soon. I would love to do another interview or just a chat. It doesn't have to be an interview. Mm -hmm. Um, Just consult with you. Honored. How about, how do you feel? I'm guessing we shouldn't um, include your chat about your research actually in the episode. I'm super chill. Like I don't mind at all. Well, thank you so much for spending the beginning of your Friday evening with us. It's been really so lovely getting to chat with you. Likewise, I when I got the Instagram message that you both were like, oh my gosh, we would love to like interview. I'm like, oh my God, why? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm like, sure. I think that's really cool because I feel, you know, just kind of like, like you know, what you, what you spoke about. I think it's just, I don't know, it's so easy to kind of forget like, no, like these conversations are so fantastic and like no underselling. And it's one of the many things I'm still working on. <laughs> um no this is so lovely thank you thank you thank you times infinity no you're still doing honestly like profession changing work here the profession in general is more neurodiverse affirming within the next decade yeah yeah and it kind of it started with your ted talk and stuff like more people are aware Mm -hmm. of it now because of it so thank you honestly thank you All right. Well, let's chat again sometime soon because I, I feel like you're my bud now. <laughs> but that's- oh my gosh. I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> I already have like, I already have friend crushes on the both of you. I just want you both to like me so bad. We posted a little Instagram reel about us getting ready for you. and We tagged you in it so you can see our little. What? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. Just before we started. Yeah. Just like us. Oh my the- God. Okay. I'm excited to see. Oh, oh this is so great. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much, you so Richard much. Stephanie. I really appreciate it. Give it's your so animals fun. and yeah, your husband yeah. a hug for yeah. us. <laughs> yeah, I, I will have a fantastic weekend. Again, like I, I know I've said it a million times, but I truly am honored that to have shared virtual space with you both. And I'm really proud of the work that you both are doing as well. And I look forward to collaborating and yes. working with you both like, in the future. Absolutely. All right, well, I have to salute or else it wouldn't be proper. (laughs) Bye, Bryden. Good night. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Neurodivergent Voices. Interested in an interview? Email divergecs at gmail.com to get it scheduled.